Hey everyone, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Friday, May the 22nd, 2020, titled, Does New Tenant Trailer Mean July 17th Release Date is Locked? We're glad that you're here. Remember, guys, listening to the podcast, you can also get your comments or questions in on the live questions part of the show by using the tip link in the description of this podcast. Simply go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show and supporting the the channel at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Rob, of course, the dominant story in the world of, well, the world, but in particular of movie news and things like that over the past couple of months has been the lockdown. Not only have movies that are supposed to be in theaters right now been bumped, but also a lot of movies that are in production had their production go on hold, leaving them, you know, very much up in the air. We've been hearing some talk about maybe theaters. You know, we talked last week about how 200 theaters in the United States have reopened. Uh, They're looking like they're on a path to reopening a little bit. But even better news when it comes to production, it's now being reported by the producers themselves that Avatar 2, one of the big tentpole films that we're waiting on, has decided to move forward and they go back into production next week. Next week, they're all heading back there. Now, we got this great look at one of the uh, ships that are going to be used in Avatar 2, but the producer of Avatar 2 uh, came out and said this. This is from uh, John uh, Landau, who said, Our Avatar sets are ready, and we couldn't be more excited to be headed back to New Zealand next week. He said in his post, check out the Matador, a high-speed forward command vessel at the bottom, and the Picador jet boat top. So, Anyway, we get a good look at the ships there, which is actually pretty cool. But of course, Rob, here the story is a big major tentpole film going back into production. We've heard and we've talked lately about a number of high profile projects are now looking at going back into production. But this is the first like really hard date one that we seem to have. They've got it. They give credit to the fact that they say the studios where they're shooting have put in place new guidelines, safety regulations, things like that, that allow them to deal with the situation that they're in. And is they say going to allow them to go in safely and renew production. Rob, what do you think about them going back into production of Avatar 2? And is this the first sign at the end of the tunnel that, you know, we we talked yesterday about California governor has said that maybe even as early as next week, they may start allowing some production in California to start picking up again. Are we now seeing this uh, slight shift of the pendulum back towards normalcy? I don't know. What do you think about this? Well, I think for one, you know, New Zealand, because of their leadership, was able to really get a handle and because of their location too, get a handle on COVID-19 and they were able to tamp it down and basically eliminate it from their shores. So I think of all the places that you can reasonably assume that production can begin, people are going to have to obviously probably quarantine for 14 days or something before they actually start. I think they've been doing that already. Uh, It's probably the best place in the world to start production again. And I think New Zealand is one of the greatest places in the world to make a movie. So their infrastructure there is is top notch. Uh, they've certainly learned a lot since Peter Jackson used Lord of the Rings to build that infrastructure. And obviously, Avatar is no stranger to New Zealand. I think it's great to hear. And I think, look, the more things come back, I think the better off everybody is. It's great to see production coming back. Obviously, this is our industry, John, and we want to see it come back healthy and we want to see it come back strong. And I think this is great. And I am a huge fan of Avatar. 
So the fact that they're going there, we're going to see more of Pandora because we've only seen a small sliver of it. Uh, I'm really I am really looking forward. Why people ever bet against James Cameron, I don't know. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. I'm looking forward to it, too. Anyway, question here, guys, for you is, what do you think about this? Do you feel like, okay, this is interesting, but it's isolated, like Avatar doing as I said, or do you feel like this is kind of the beginning of the falling of the dominoes, that we're going to see production start to come back, and maybe in terms of our movie world that we live in, we're starting to head back to normalcy. What do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, Let's now move on to our main topics of the day. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question and hit submit. It's totally free. And then maybe, just maybe, you just might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campion Show. With that down... Let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jacob Lacey, who writes, Hi, John. According to Variety, John Krasinski's Some Good News, which is awesome, uh, YouTube series has been bought by Viacom and CBS and will be airing a weekly version of his show on the platform. SGN, or Some Good News, has been such an uplifting experience to watch, especially during these trying times, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on the matter. Does this mean it will not be on YouTube anymore? Thanks, and keep up the great work. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah. Yeah, listen, John Krasinski came out of nowhere when the lockdown started with this thing. Some good news, just, you know, we all need some good news. And he just talked about these great uplifting stories, which was wonderful. And it kind of brightened up the world a little bit when it needed it the most. However, a story did just come out that John Krasinski has sold the rights to Viacom and CBS. Now, this is the report that we're getting. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Slashroom who wrote, some Good News, a web series that was essentially John Krasinski sitting in his house, goofing off in front of a webcam, all in the name of cheering up people in quarantine, is moving up in the world. Krasinski sold the rights to the web show to CBS after a bidding war came out of it. Also, he will no longer host it. Sources say Krasinski was hesitant to sell what started off as a free YouTube show to help distract people in the lockdown. But in the end, says Slashfilm, money won. Money won. I have a couple of feelings on this. I, I'm already seeing some people around kind of poo-pooing on John Krasinski right now saying, you know, oh, he just did this whole thing for money and blah, blah, blah. I have a completely different take on that. First of all, John Krasinski is one of the hottest properties in Hollywood right now. There have been many times in his life, I'm sure, that he is hurt for money. Right now is not one of them. Also, I got to point out, Whatever deal he made, and even though there was a bidding war, don't think that this was a $100 million deal. <laughs> like, don't think this was some massively lucrative uh, deal or anything like that. And I think the other thing that a lot of people got to keep in mind, Rob, when, when looking at this Krasinski situation with some good news is the fact that, and we talked about this, I said this on the show a few weeks ago, he can't do this show for much longer. I mean, he while he uses a cheap little camera and a terrible little mic and doesn't have lighting or anything like that, the fact of the matter is a lot of work goes into those videos. And the reality is, as Hollywood was starting to ramp back up, it became clear and obvious he's not going to be able to do this show anymore for much longer. 
there is very soon going to come a date where he's not able to do some good news, which has been the best thing on YouTube. It has absolutely been the best thing, biggest smile on our faces thing, like just a dandy little thing to put on it. Every time a new episode comes, I know Anne is reaching for the remote and wanting to pop on the new episode. It's just uplifting and fun and good. And listen, if he can sign a deal knowing that he wasn't going to be able to do it for much longer, that ensures that something with the resources of Viacon CBS can try to take that format and keep it going. Why not? Because listen, ultimately it was just going to die. He was going to go back to work in three or four weeks and then it was just going to be over. So yeah. I don't, I don't mind this at all. And and I understand I am a John Krasinski fan. So maybe I'm looking at this a little bit biased. Maybe that's true. I don't think I am, but maybe I am, but yeah, I don't see any problem with this whatsoever because the, al the alternate of this was it just stops and it's not around anymore. And if he's staying on as an executive producer, hopefully he'll have some influence to make sure that, the heart of the show stays the same. Uplifting stuff to put smile on people's faces. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this. John Krasinski just took this little home YouTube project and now just sold it to Viacom CBS. Something we all wish we could do. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, what's uh, what's your take on it? Well, I think it's all good. You know, I, I, I mean, anybody who's making shows or trying to make shows or movies now is always called upon to do some kind of a proof of concept thing. You know, you're making a movie. You you have to make what's called a lookbook if you're trying to sell the, the 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 your project. And so this was basically his proof of concept pilot pitch. Even though he didn't even know it was a proof of concept pilot pitch, probably. And because he did a good job, somebody said, "Hey, this is a good idea for a show. Some good news." And you know, I I, I think it's a big win for everybody. That's how work in Hollywood and the entertainment business is supposed to work, where somebody comes up with a great idea. Rather than him walking in and having to pitch it to a network, he just went and made his own show. And people looked at it and said, we like this. And what's what's not to love about some good news, whether it works or not, if they find someone who's as genuine and winsome and and just all around a great guy like Krasinski to host something like this. Who doesn't need good news in their life? And the fact that he was able to do something like this, I mean, it's basically John Krasinski becoming, he's already a director, now he's a, a showrunner and a producer, and and he made something that didn't exist out of whole cloth that he just went and thought up and did. If anything, it, it exemplifies exactly the kind of can-do American entrepreneurial spirit everybody should have. I mean, I know we're not all John Krasinski, but still, you know, I mean... Anybody can go start a YouTube show, John. It's amazing. We should start YouTube shows. I mean, just look at that. But you did you bring up something that I think is the underlying key to this whole thing. Again, I would rather somebody pick it up and run with it because John Krasinski was going to end it soon anyway. Yeah. But I don't know how interested I personally I like, think I'm glad it's going to continue. But I don't know how personally interested I am because you brought up, I think, the absolute major point here, which is. This show worked because it's John Krasinski. You yeah, know what I mean? I it was this was very much a John Krasinski show. It was his charm, his disarming um character and charisma that just kept the way the way whether it's the way he's talking about I had today to face my nemesis, internet comment trolls, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And just 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 the way he carries himself and his charm. You want to see Jim. <laughs> like, I know he's trying to get beyond Jim Helper, but you want to see Jim. And I just don't know, can this concept work? And let me ask you, can this concept work 
if it's not John Krasinski doing it? Or was this because, like you said, he never developed this as a pitch. It was really built around him and his personality. Can yeah. it work with somebody else doing it, Rob? Look, I think it can. I mean, to, uh, uh, clearly they've got an idea or maybe this is just a case where some studio executive comes up with this idea and develops into a huge bidding war. And it's never going to work, but Krasinski will get paid. I think it'd be interesting if every episode was like a different celebrity, you know, and you oh. tailor. I don't know if it's a weekly show or a daily show, but Krasinski could probably get. I mean, I would get Emily Blunt to come in for a day or, you know, it's almost like how celebrities go to talk shows to promote their latest project. Well, you know, or they host Saturday Night Live or something. If this was a weekly show and it concentrated on good news from around America or even around the world, it would be a really fun show to see who's going to host this week. You know, and, and, and I like that would, it. you know, I, I would watch that show. I think that's a great idea. I think that's a great idea. So anyway, question here is, guys, for you. What do you think about this? Do you look at it more, you know, skeptically? You say, ah, oh, he took this thing and just sold it for money. I, I Maybe you look at it that way. Maybe you look at it more like the way I do. It's like, hey, the show is going to end. Why not ensure it continues? How do you feel about it? And can it even work without John Krasinski hoping, uh, uh, hosting? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Hector Ramses, who writes, with everyone talking about the naked butt being taken out of Splash on Disney+, Plus, almost nobody is talking about the edit on Net that Netflix did to Back to the Future 2, taking out the quote-unquote offensive magazine cover and a couple of lines from Marty. I kind of get the Disney Plus thing, but why on earth would Netflix edit out mature stuff when they have tons of R-rated stuff on their platform? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, this is this is one of the strangest things, probably the strangest thing we're going to talk about here today uh, until we talk about the Tenant trailer at any, at any rate. But no. yeah, they have taken, Netflix has taken, there's a scene in Back to the Future 2 where... Marty, you know, jumps into the, the 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 basket and pulls out. I think it was a comic book. Oh, thank goodness! And he opens it up, and it's an adult. It's a fifties adult magazine called Ooh La La. If you remember the scene, and he flips, he opens it, and there's thing, and he turns another page, and then he looks at the cover of a little bit of a risque Ooh La La magazine. Right. Well, here's the interesting thing. Netflix has taken that scene. And they've edited it. Now, it's it's a, it's a slight edit, right? It's a slight edit. But in the scene, they, there's this, uh, there's a video clip of it online where the actual scene from the movie is flipping and then opens the page where he sees the front cover. They cut about 10 seconds out. So just so he sees a couple of pages and then it cups to him jumping backwards going, ooh, la, la. So it takes out a couple of lines and takes out. The magazine cover, even though the magazine cover really isn't all that offensive, whatever, because it was in Back to the Future, uh, but it's there and they took it out and they edited it. Now, I have talked before about how like the, the Disney Plus thing with them taking out the butt, that's not a problem to me because Disney Plus is a family centric uh, or a family-friendly network. All networks have for decades and decades and decades when they put it on public air that families could be watching they've edited movies and whatever as long as the originals there i get it so disney blah 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 but this i don't get because as hector wrote in in the email rob netflix is not a 
designed to be at its core DNA is not now and has never has ever been designed to be a family friendly place. They have family friendly content on the network. Sure they do, but they also have a lot of filthy. They have a lot of R rated <laughs> stuff as well. They have a lot of adult mature rated stuff. It's, it's, they're all over the place. I get the Disney thing because their channel is meant to be a certain way. I get that. We've talked about that ad nauseum. So I understand that the Netflix thing. I don't understand in the least, Rob, what would be the, in any remotest realm, what would be the motivation of Netflix to take out like a little shot? Like I, I, it's not a major thing. It doesn't fundamentally change the movie. I'm not saying that it does, but why even do that when it is a place that has lots of mature and whatever content? What's their thinking here? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not convinced Netflix did this. Do we know that they were the ones who did this? Or? The, reports, the reports I'm reading is that it's only on Netflix's version. That's right. only on Netflix's I, version. I'm wondering if maybe they were sent because they, you know, they, they, they put on what they're sent by the studio. So obviously this is a universal film. So maybe they were sent a version that for whatever reason was changed and that's the version they got. But other than that, you know, we live in really weird times, John. And this idea that in our, in the post me too movement, that this might be a joke that they didn't want to have in this movie for some reason. I mean, considering this is a franchise where, uh, you know, Marty McFly's his mom is coming on to him in the first movie. I mean, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing to like eliminate. Uh oh, you mean there were girly mags at one more one point in time? Really? It's just a bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. You know, the report that I'm reading here is also saying that uh, a quick search at others. Basically, they're saying they've looked at. Back to the Future 2 on other streaming platforms where you can purchase it. And apparently it's still in there. It's it's only on the Netflix version that's not there. And I just, that's the thing. I just don't understand it. If this was like Cartoon Network and they decided to take something out, okay. If it's on Disney's, like even on Disney Plus, I don't think that magazine cover would be taken out. I mean, it's not nudity. It's just, I, I don't no, get it. It's very it. strange. It's, it's a very you know, odd thing. Here's the thing though, Rob. I especially when the splash thing came up, I had a lot of people writing into me and saying, Oh, well, I mean, this just shows that we should all have physical media because they're just going to change everything. And we're not going to have the movie versions that we remembered. And I'm like, come on, everybody just calm down. This is Disney plus they've been doing on CBS, NBC and Fox for decades. And since we've been alive, it's fine, fine, fine. But I mean, maybe there was something more to that because now we're seeing it as something like Netflix and it's a minor, minor change that makes no difference to the overall movie. Understand, but I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I would love to hear somebody at Netflix give an official response to this. I would love to hear them say what their kind of rationale behind. Maybe it was, hey, listen, studio directed us to do it. The studio asked us to do it. Okay, in that case, I'd want to hear from the studio. Why take that shot out? I mean, I just I just don't understand it. It's an interesting little thing. Question yours, guys. What do you think about that? Is it like a studio-wide thing? Is it just a weird little Netflix thing? It, I, I'm not really in a position where I can figure out what would the motivation be to cut that out? If you can think of one, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, with that down... Let's now move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by 
Yashira, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. So a brand new trailer for Christopher Nolan's Tenant just premiered on Fortnite. Yeah, I don't, I don't even get this whole movement right now of debuting trailers on Fortnite. Anyway, it looks like Warner Brothers has started their marketing push for the film, which indicates that they're sticking with the July 17th release date. What did you think of the trailer and what are your thoughts on them keeping the release date? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, brand new trailer. We've been talking for a while about Tenet because they've got that July 17th release date. And Rob, we've been saying if they're going to hold that date, they have got to make a decision soon about ramping up their marketing push. Yeah. They've got to make a decision soon about that. And then came word, a new trailer for Tenet is dropping tomorrow. And that was yesterday. And sure enough, yesterday, the new trailer dropped. Did drop on Fortnite, but then 30 seconds later, it was up on YouTube. So everybody was able to see it. It was up there on YouTube. So it, of course, raises the question. But anyway, this comes to us from our friends over at Polygon who wrote, Currently, the film is scheduled for a July 17th debut. The mid-July release has been a sweet spot for Nolan. The Dark Knight, Inception, and The Dark Knight Rises, and Dunkirk all opened in between July 16th and July 21st in their respective summers, earning the director and Warner Brothers over $2.5 billion in combined grosses. Tenet, which stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, uh, Dibble Cap. Padia, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, uh, Clemens Posey, Michael Caine, and of course, Kenneth Branagh, who appears to be the villain in the film, remains on track to continue the trend. So that's what came out. And sure enough, the trailer came out. And I got to tell you, I like the trailer. I thought the trailer was quite good. It was very distinctly, and I'm not going to say it's the best trailer I've seen in a year. It's not. But it's a very distinctly Christopher Nolan trailer. Like, if I had never heard of Tenet before, if I had never heard of the film or the project, and you just came out and said, hey, John, there's this new movie coming out called Tenet, and you didn't say the name Christopher Nolan, and you plopped that trailer in front of me that just played yesterday, I would have gone, oh, yeah, that's a, that's got to be a Christopher Nolan film. That's got to be a Christopher Nolan. Just look at it. Look at the, the way it moves and all that kind of stuff, revealing stuff, yet not revealing a lot of stuff. So I watched it, and... I like the first trailer. I like the second trailer a little bit more because, Rob, one of the things I've always been saying about what I want to see marketing campaigns for movies do is bit by bit start to reveal this is what this movie is. You know, that first trailer doesn't give us anything. It's just boom, car flip, woohoo, some kind of weird time thing. Okay. Now, this one takes one step a little bit further. They start to, in still a very Christopher Nolan confusing way, start to reveal a few things about like, it's not time travel, it's inversion. You know, they they start, they, we right. get introduced to the villain. We get to understand a little bit about what the stakes are at play, but still leaving a lot of, I still don't fully understand what's going on here. And maybe a third trailer will do that. So I kind of appreciate that done that. Listen, and I love Kenneth Branagh. So he, seeing him in there just makes me smile and giggle. We got a lot more of Robert Pattinson in the role uh, in this trailer than we did before. So I enjoyed it. Best trailer I've seen in a year. No, but I enjoyed it. So Rob, just on the level of what did you think of the tenant trailer? Cause I know you, you're really excited for this movie. So what did you think about the trailer? You know, the marketing of this movie has for, for, for this movie is the most eagerly awaited, my most eagerly awaited movie of the year. And I find the marketing of the film. And I find this, this six minute, IMAX opening that we saw surprisingly uh, distancing for me. I, 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 my level of excitement is, is tempered and I want to 
look, this movie looks so beautifully made. It is so handsome and it is so just gorgeous to look at. And all the acting looks terrific and the globe trotting and the locations and even the end of this new trailer was <laughs> I was pretty I was like, wow, I wonder if they oh, did with that the airplane, for, the airplane. Yeah, I'm like, thing, I wonder yeah. if they did that for real, you know, but I found it I f- and it's intriguing. And I don't know if it's quantum mechanics or wh- how it all works, but I find my level of excitement. I want it to be boiling over right now. And it's it's on a simmer. My excitement is simmering. It's not boiling over. And I want it to be boiling over. But because I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan and he's really never let me down, um, I I can't wait to see the movie. It certainly looks like it's going to be a fun time at the at the theater. I'll tell you that. I, nothing convinces me more that I want to see this in a giant on a giant IMAX screen than this new trailer did. I'm like, oh my god! I mean, it's got the globe trotting of a Bond film, and it, the cinematography couldn't be better. And whatever's going on, whatever inversion is, pretty interesting. So I want to find out about that. But I just there's everything in it is like okay, looks good. Here's here's something I wanted to ask you because you and I were talking earlier and I, you said something to me that I thought was really quite interesting and you you made a comparison to say you know it didn't get me really revved up like the Inception trailer did. Right. And like and I thought that was a really interesting comparison because this very much felt like it shares ancestral DNA with the Inception trailer when you watch it. So I'm just curious. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I thought there was a really interesting thing you said about that. What was it about the, what is it that makes the Inception trailer work that much more for you that it does get you really excited for Inception that this one kind of lacked? I, I did not, you didn't prepare this because I, but I'm just yeah. curious, what would, what would you say is, is the differentiating, uh, dif- differentiating feature there? Well, there were there were things like there were images in the Inception trailer, like the city folding over on itself. Oh yeah, that's gorgeous. You know, and there was there was images that, from a visual standpoint, were so I'd never seen them before. And the reversing of things in this movie is not as dramatic or as exciting to me because it's really interesting to watch time reversed for some things within a frame and not others. I think that's really clever. Like that whole car crash thing, like here's a car flipping over and then it reverses back. Like they're turning back time, but only for that car. I mean, that's really cool, but I don't think it's as visually arresting as some of the things we saw in inception, because you were dealing with the dream world. You were dealing with surrealism and this looks more firmly set in a, in a real world situation but I just don't find the reversing of t- like the train, uh, the, the 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 plane barreling into the <laughs> barreling into the the terminal or whatever, and listening to Robert Pattinson's character. Which, by the way, another example of Pattinson doing a character role where he looks like he's great, but which makes me more excited for Batman. But the rest of it, the 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 going the the, the turning back time, the way they're doing it, is interesting from a plot standpoint, but visually. It's not it doesn't it doesn't delight me the way the visuals in Inception did. But I think that's because they're holding back a lot. Mm. And it is it is just the second trailer, I suppose. Yeah. We'll probably see more. But Rob, this leads us into the next part of the discussion. Because I think this is important and this is a pressing issue. The tra- we've been saying, okay, if they're gonna hold that July 17th release date, they gotta start putting out trailers. So here they come and they put out the trailer. Yep. 
Something interesting, though. At the end of the trailer, it doesn't say in theaters on July 17th. It just says coming in theaters. Now, that's not to say that that, oh, well, that means they're not doing the July 17th thing. But a lot of people have assumed, understandably so, that with this trailer coming out now, that must mean that they're going to, they are completely planning at this stage to hold that. Well, we know they have been planning to hold the July 17th date, but if they're putting out trailers now, that must mean they are locked in on July 17th. But at the end, it doesn't say July 17th. No. Are, am I reading? To, what do you think the meaning is ultimately, as far as its release date goes, of them putting out this trailer but it not saying just July 17th. What What's the strategy here? What do you think is going on? Because that wasn't just a coincidence. I mean, there that was purposeful. Putting up the words coming in theaters without putting July 17th. Does that mean they're just trying to, they think they're still going to do July 17th, but they're hedging their bets a little. I mean, I don't know what's going on here with that. Is Does this trailer tell you that they are keeping that July 17th, that they aren't, or they're just trying to stay flexible? What do you see? Well, you and I talked about this very thing before on this show where we said that we were going to we going to see a new tenant trailer in the next 2 weeks or something and we did. We saw it and we said that they probably like <clears throat> they could push out their decision maybe as far as June 15th. But that's the reason there's no date on this trailer because look, we are seeing an uptick in coronavirus cases in states that have opened and this clearly is something that is not resolved. Whether movie theaters can open when they want to is not, I don't think, a sure thing. And they have said, Warner Brothers has come out and said, we need to have 80% of the world's theaters open before we're going to go. Because that's what we have to, we have to have that. And we have to have New York theaters open and LA theaters open. Because they're big, they're big markets. And I just think it's too soon to tell. But they had to... They can still drop tenant trailers and get the marketing revved up, but they still have enough time to pull back uh, if they if they can't. You know, though, I, I think we'll see stuff from tenant up until the fifteenth of June, and I'll bet you by the fifteenth of June, if not before, we will have a definitive answer whether it'll keep its July seventeenth release date. Now there are some people mentioning, and, and I did notice this yesterday myself, but there's some people mentioning. Uh, in the live chat right now that in the description of the video that's on YouTube, July 17th is there. I don't think that means much, though. I mean, no. I, I think that, I mean, it, it, the fact is, how many people, what, 3% of people actually read the description of a video? I mean, it's it's actually what's in the trailer. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of feeling similar in a way. I think they are I think them putting out this trailer says to us they are still targeting July 17th. If they weren't, I don't think they put this trailer out right now. But they just didn't put in that date because I think they are trying to stay a little bit flexible. And I think you're right. Yeah. We are. We do need to see a little bit more time. But I take it as a positive sign that I – you know what? Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic. I think Tenant will, will open on July 17th. Maybe I'm just being overly optimistic, and I certainly have no insider information, but I I was already kind of feeling like I think they're going to, and then with this trailer dropping, it doesn't guarantee it, but I, I it just kind of firms me up a little bit. I think it will open. So I'm thinking it will. Question here is, guys, what did you think about the Tenant trailer, the highly anticipated upcoming movie from Christopher Nolan? And what besides, what did you think about the trailer? What do you think it says about its intention to open on July 17th? 
Do you think it means, hey, they didn't put in the date? That means it's not going to open July 17th. Do you think, hey, man, they put out the trailer? That means it is. Do you think there's any relevance to what was said in the description of the trailer? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down and out of the way, we're now going to move into the live questions part of the show. Now, I should let you guys know uh, a couple of days ago, you guys noticed because I announced on the show that the YouTube super chat feature was acting really buggy. Uh, people were there. We had people send in super chats and then the YouTube logs lost them immediately. Like they weren't there in the logs and therefore I couldn't pull up any of the super chat questions and I've gone back in and they're still not there. And so we have decided to deactivate uh, any sort of super chat questions because I don't want any more people sending in money and not get their questions answered. So for now, and at least for the immediate future, if you want to get a question in on the show, this was always the best way to do it anyway. Look in the description of this video. I just said nobody reads descriptions of the videos, uh, but look in the description of this video and you'll see in the top line a tip link. That's the link right there. StreamElements.com slash TV slash tip. You can go and use that to send in a question for the live part of the show. So you can do that. But in the meantime, Robert and I are going to do what we do well every day. We're going to take a short break right now stretch our legs rest the vocal cords go refill our drinks give you a chance to run and use the bathroom talk amongst yourselves so if you'll hang tight with us guys rob and i will be right back don't go anywhere All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as Rob and I took a little bit of a break there. And now, without any further ado, again, guys, if you want to send in a live question, simply use streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can find the link in the top of the description of the video. And now let's get on over and start taking those questions you guys have been sending in. And we're going to start things off here with Kel, who writes... I'm excited to see a completed cut of Zack's Justice League. My question is, how much of a different movie is, a, uh, is this to what we've already seen in theaters? Is this a totally different movie, like 80%, 90% different, or just a few scenes here and there? I think the truth, it probably lies somewhere in between. Because, Rob, one of the things that uh, Aaron and I were talking about yesterday was the fact that, you know, and, and by the way, I had to give a shout out to you on yesterday's show because... You know, I was saying that I thought what they should do and what they would do is just take take it as it is and just put it on HBO Max without finishing it. And you said to me, you said, John, I think you're going to find that this thing is a lot more unfinished than you think. And it turns out in that Hollywood Reporter article that came out in their interview with Zack and Deborah Snyder, it is a lot more unfinished than we thought. I mean, they said because yeah. they said in there there is no CGI, no post-production, none of it. Like, it is a lot less finished than we thought it was. So, and it got me and Aaron talking about, well, how is 20 to $30 million going to be enough to finish that? The answer might be the fact that it's not that much stuff. That Because we, we got to keep remembering, because I think I forget this sometimes. This isn't a brand new movie. This isn't, right. a, this isn't a brand new movie. This isn't like uh, Solo, where... You know, they had to come in and reshoot 90% of the movie. That's not what happened on Justice League. So maybe 30 million is enough because it might not be that. So I don't think it'll be like 80 or 90% different. I think it's probably going to be like 25% different, maybe something like that. I'm just guessing, by the way, at this point. But with it, them only saying it's going to cost 20, 30, it can't be that much stuff. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think it's going to cost more than 30. <laughs> so you think, think they're going to go well over 30? Yeah, because, I mean, what people, you know, I've been going back and forth with people on Twitter. They're like, they're telling me I don't understand anything about filmmaking, which is hilarious. But the the idea that when these big tentpole movies are made, the process of visual effects 
begin before the movies even get shot right with yes. pre-visualization whether they're storyboards or whether they're animatics and you're constantly cutting this stuff into the movie and then as you you get finished effect shots and then you get live action footage like when you when you cut a scene in a superhero movie now a lot of it is shot against green screens right so you have a green screen assembly or let's call it a fine cut of a scene where you finished a scene with all the live action material that say takes place on a rooftop. Like we saw the rooftop scene where Batman battles a parademon in what came out from Justice League already toward the beginning right. of the movie. That whole sequence, there wasn't one shot, I don't think, maybe an insert shot, where you didn't have some kind of green screen cityscape replacement shot. Now, when that before that scene was even shot, it was probably done in animatic form. And then they they already know, okay, here are the angles we're going to use. Then you go shoot the live action. Then you edit the live action together. And once you have a locked cut of that live action, then you turn it over to the effects houses who start, and it could be more than one, who start doing the, the all of the, the CG backgrounds. So it's a very iterative process that goes on through the entire post-production of a movie. So there could be a lot of, of scenes in Snyder's cut of the movie that are indeed finished. But when you're doing an entire film and indeed a movie that's four hours long, and it, according to that article, there's both a four-hour version and then there was a two-hour and 20-minute version that the studio wanted him to do, which was rougher because there probably wasn't as much done because he was cutting out all this material he wanted to keep. But it's, it's, it's a process. Remember, he was on the movie editing for four or five months. So there's a lot of work that was already done, but I'm sure it's unfinished throughout the movie. And, and they're also going to have to ramp up. A lot of those effects houses probably didn't, they don't, all those assets are probably still on hard drive somewhere. They don't throw things away. So and they could use the work right now and they could, everybody can use the work right now. So it, it makes sense, but it's, it's, I, I think what, what, what was so frustrating to me is that people are saying that we said there's just an assembly cut. People don't get that an assembly cut is a cut of a movie that is usually put together by the editorial staff while a movie is being shot. You know, every day you get the previous day's footage and you assemble it together and you see where it's at. So the director can come in and say, I want to look at this scene. I want to make sure we got everything. But nobody considers that. You don't show that to anyone. It's just literally an assemblage of footage. It's only when you end shooting and a director should usually take some time off, clear their head a week or two probably. And then he comes back or she comes back and starts working on the movie in earnest. So an assembly cut is not even something that you show people. It's only for internal use. And then you actually start cutting the film. And I don't think people get that because they're always going, well, you know, it's more than an assembly cut that exists. And you and Campia don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, we do. We get it. So this film was deep, deep, deep into post-production. And so I just think that there's it's this is almost like a, a patchwork quilt that has lots of unfinished parts of the quilt in it that and you it think really is going to cost more than 20 but but the, the the question they're asking though is how different will this be like will it be a 90 percent different film will it be a 10 percent different like how different do you oh, think this is going to be I, from what I, theatrical I'll, got bet released? It's, I'll bet it's pretty different because think about the length alone if they really do go and restore what he thought was his definitive four-hour version 
uh, it could be very different, I would think, because, you know, Justice League was about two hours long. So if you're looking at a four-hour version, there's two more hours there. And if you think about it, remember, visual effects cost money by the frame. Yeah. So you're looking if, – if, if you're going to do a four-hour version of this film – and again, we saw in the trailers that there's a lot of footage, finished footage, that was never seen in the Joss Whedon cut. And there's a lot of character backstory. So – it, just the length alone, I'm like twenty or thirty million seems very uh, uh, cheap to me. I, I would imagine I would have pegged it at fifty, but again, I don't know. But yeah. just in terms of time, if you look at time, I mean, a two-hour movie or a four-hour movie—that's a lot of money. It's it's a lot of money. Yeah. The one thing I said on my my companion video yesterday was like. I never thought they would spend another dollar on it. I, I never thought they would spend another dollar. On it. I thought they put it on HBO Max, but I never thought they'd spend another dollar. But if you're going to spend money on it, I hope they're willing to spend enough to make it right. You know, I, I, I hope that if it does require more than 30, that they're willing to spend more than 30. But we'll have to wait. And see. All right. We need to move on here. We spent a lot of time on that one. All right. Uh, LeBurn 98 writes, if this is a success for HBO Max, could we perhaps see some form of the Snyderverse continued as HBO Max exclusive content? I'm thinking something like the canceled Joe Manganiello Deathstroke film as an example, perhaps on an uh, extraction like budget. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. And here's why, Rob. This is what I said on my companion video yesterday. I'd like to know your thoughts on this. You think about sample sizes, right? Warner Brothers decided to change direction of what they were doing with the DCU because they had a three, more than three, but if you want to just look at the stuff Zach was connected with, a three film, full films released sample size to see how do audiences audiences respond to it, how do critics respond to it, how does our box office do, and all that kind of stuff. Three full, fully released films. I don't know that a novelty project, and sometimes people use the word novelty in a negative connotation. I think it's a po it can be a very positive thing. And I think that's one of the things that the Snyder Cut has going for right now. There's a novelty aspect to this. Like, it's something we've never seen before. We've never right. had a situation, Rob, exactly like this. We've never no. had a situation exactly like this. This is such a unique set of circumstances. But I don't know that... If this Snyder Cut on HBO Max is terrible, I don't think it changes anything for Warner Brothers in their DC Universe. If the Snyder Cut is the best thing ever, I don't think it changes anything for Warner Brothers in their DC Universe. Because nothing was... I don't think, Rob, we were ever going to come again across a, a situation like this with these exact circumstances that create this perfect storm. So I don't think there's anything any of us can look at what happens with the HBO Max thing that's either going to make it go pro or con. I think if it's terrible, it's not going to hurt anything. If it's awesome, I don't think it's going to help anything else. So I don't know. No, I don't think that, oh, if this Snyder Cut is received well... Then all of a sudden they're going to green light, green light a Joe Manganiello Deathstroke thing. I I don't think that'll happen. Stranger things have happened, and and maybe they will, but it's again it's just a, a very unique set of circumstances that have created this, and I think it's I don't know Rob. That's what I said about it. What do you think about it? Look, I totally agree with you. I think we we saw both Justice League and David Ayer's Suicide Squad suffered from what I would call a failure of the executive branch. 
the the studio executives at Warner Brothers were looking across the, the the road at Disney and their success, and they were trying to emulate that success without doing what Marvel did by laying down the groundwork. And Suicide Squad was more successful than Justice League was, but they were still movies that were completely interfered with by executives who were second-guessing themselves after the money that was being spent. Everybody was just freaking out, afraid for their jobs, and it turns out rightfully so. And and the the those it's a very unique situation. But I don't think that on HBO Max with this Snyder Cut, I think it'll probably absolutely wind up being the best version of Justice League that uh, we can have because Zack Snyder will have, he, he says he's never watched Justice League, but I think the final Justice League itself is a is something to look at on how not to make a movie, how to squander a bunch of goodwill. And I think he's going to go back and if nothing else, Snyder does have a very distinct vision and we were robbed of that with Justice League. And I think whether you like Man of Steel or whether you like Batman v Superman or not, I've always wanted to see that conclusion to that trilogy. And I think having this version will be a nice closeout to this version of a DC universe. I think they've gone a different direction. We're going to see that in Wonder Woman 84. We're going to see that in James Gunn's Suicide Squad. So I don't think they're going to do some course correction. I think we'll now have what we should have had from the beginning, a final finished Zack Snyder Man of Steel trilogy that comprises three films. And I think what a lot of people got to keep in mind, too, is that I don't think Warner Brothers is expecting they're going to put out this Snyder cut and all of a sudden the masses will love it. They had a Zack Snyder Man of Steel movie and half the people hated it, which I will never understand because it is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, but half the people hated it. They put up Batman versus Superman, which I acknowledge has some issues. I acknowledge it has issues. I understand. I understand why there are people who don't like it. I personally liked it, but a lot of people didn't like it. Right. So I don't think Warner Brothers has any sort of delusions of grandeur that all of a sudden people are going to completely love what... Zack Snyder's vision of it and they're going to suddenly appreciate Man of Steel for the masterpiece that it is and they're all of a sudden going to jump on board I think they just see this as what you're pointing out an opportunity to give something to a lot of people that a lot of people wanted and there's a well, novelty factor to that and I think it'll work for for that but I, I, I just know, think it's delusions of grandeur to think that all of a sudden magically everybody's going to love this thing when they haven't loved his even great work that he's done before so I don't right. know what do you think well, I, no, I completely agree with you. By the way, apparently HBO Max dropped a promo for this today. Oh, they I should. Seen it. Yeah, yeah, they totally and, should and, jump on that. Yeah, so you can subscribe. But look, you know, we're, it's an interesting time. The fact that Tarantino went back in and did a, a new version of The Hateful Eight and broke it into four parts. Right. I think that was a factor in this. I think that they probably, whether they have the numbers or not, they probably looked at that and they wondered, how did that do? You know, there's a lot of precedent and people acting like I think it's great for fandom that we're getting the the cut. But it's better that I see that a filmmaker is finally allowed to realize his vision of what he was trying to do. I I hate it when somebody like Zack Snyder, who was having had a good relationship with with Warner Brothers. I mean, I don't know why this I think it went south because, again, I mean, Batman v Superman made almost nine hundred million dollars, dude. 
And it's not like it, the only reason people don't think of it as a great success is because it costs so much money to make. But that's still not nothing to slouch at. But they were expecting a billion dollars at Superman and Batman. And so that was considered underperforming by the studio. But the studio, I think, has expectations. They, they, they were looking at Marvel. And I think Zack Snyder was actually a casualty of Warner executives not doing their jobs. And I love seeing that a filmmaker gets a chance to come back and complete what he was hired to do in the first place. So right. and, that's you know, cool. there's there are articles going around right now, and I get where they're com- I get where they, they're coming from, you know, saying things like, you know, them doing a Snyder cut such a dangerous precedent and all that this kind of stuff. But to me, the thing is, how can you say it's setting a dangerous precedent when we're never going to get a situation exactly like this again. Right. Like when you look at all the drama that went in first and the drama started with Batman versus Superman and it, you know, was very divisive amongst audiences, blah, blah. And that drama, like there was a last second decision to even keep Zack Snyder on the movie because they, there was a real movement to remove Zack Snyder from justice league before they started shooting. They decided to do it. They went through all the stuff. We know about all the drama that then happened there and a lot of the tragedy and all that kind of stuff that happened there. And then the events that came after it. And the fact that justice league was one of the most popular IPs in the world. And yet it only did so much of the box office and that led into this. And then that led into this. What do you mean? This sets a dangerous precedent. We're never going to see this happen again. Like this. Not exactly like this. I don't think it sets any kind of precedent, positively or negatively. Anyway, we need to move on. We got a lot more questions. Curtis Lopez writes, just announced Stallone is doing a Facebook watch along with the original Rocky movie on the MGM Facebook page tonight. Yeah, that was this was sent in yesterday. So that happened last night. I wanted to tune in to do that, but I was literally working. Well, I had to deal with some personal stuff, but then I was literally working till about midnight last night. So I didn't have a chance to watch it. I really wanted to, but I didn't get around to watching that. Hopefully they have it recorded because I like to go back and watch that. James Welsh writes, any chance the female movie that is rumored is an Aunt May film? No, not at all. Rob, we talked about on yesterday about, you know, uh, Sony has brought on. Uh, a, a director she's worked a, on a lot of big high profile television series to do a female s- marvel movie for sony now of course last year the reports came out that you know they were looking at developing a madam web so the assumption is that she was brought on to do madam web but it wasn't specified that it actually was like I kind of thought that there is a higher chance, maybe not a higher chance, but I think there's a possibility that could be a, you know, Spider-Woman. Gwen, Spider-Gwen is insanely popular and only got more popular with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So maybe that, but Rob, I just ask you quick, what do you think it's going, do you think it is going to be Madam Web or do you think they could spin off and go in a different direction? Well, I mean, haven't they announced, you know, the, the, the characters? I I, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting, you know, Mark Guggenheim <laughs> tweeted or said, isn't it interesting that they finally hired like a comic book writer to write a script for a comic book movie? I mean, they could go in a different direction, but I think those characters that they're talking about are probably the the ones they're going to go with. I mean, I think it's I think it's great. And you know, why not have a female-centric movie in the Spider-Verse? I mean, whether it's Spider-Woman, you know, or whether it's Black Cat and so, uh, uh, was it Silver Sable? Was Silver that Sable, what they were going to do? Yep. I, Silver I mean, Black was that was the, so, what they yeah, were going to do. Yeah, and and uh, it's about time. And I think, look, Sony is going to milk this Spider Verse, and whether it's going to be part of the MCU, sort of, is it MCU adjacent, whatever the hell they're going to call it. I don't know. Spunk, spunk, Rob. Right, spunk. spunk. That's right. The spl- which, wow. 
Um, Sony's Sony's new ad campaign. Let us get our spunk all over your face. Come to the theaters and get spunked on. You know, there's got to be that shirt. Come on and get that spunk. Can't Um, wait till till the kids start coming home with that one. But no, look, I I think it's exciting. Either way. Let's move on here. Major Tom writes in. Uh, Hey, John, I'm sorry to hear about what happened. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, There's never a good time for bad news. I didn't find out about my dad passing away until I got back from Deadpool two years ago. Oh, dude, that's awful. I stopped going to the movies for months after. I got to imagine ever going back to the movies after that. Dude, that's horrible. Um, Two of two. There was a little horror movie that came out uh, that year called Hereditary that, oddly enough, helped me confront my grief and move forward. Uh, movies are so important, especially in the times of tragedy. My thoughts uh, with you and wish you the best. Well, thank you so much, man. And yeah, movies have always been like when crappy things have gone on in life. Movies have always been there. I'll speak for myself as a film fan, but I know this is true for most of you guys as well. Movies have been that place in my life where I could always go. And yes, they provide an escape for a bit, but they do more than that. Like I find when when crappy stuff is going on in life, to be able to immerse yourself into a movie, it not only just lets you take a break from the crappy stuff going on, but it creatively inspires you. It lets you dream a little bit. I've called movies an oasis where it's not just about taking an escape. It's about recharging. And then when you come out of a really good movie, it's not that the crappy things in life are suddenly gone, but I feel like I'm more equipped to deal with it when I come out. My mind is relaxed, more refreshed. I've had a chance to look at things from a different perspective. I've allowed my creativity and imagination to dance for a little while watching a movie and it's always been there for me like that. And, and that's one of the things that I love about the movies and, and things like that. And uh, Major Tom, I appreciate you sharing that story, man. I really, really do. And uh, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And yeah, Hereditary, Tony Collette totally should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for that. I still don't understand how she did. Rob, I remember when that was happening and the announcements were being read for the Academy Award, the nominees for the Academy Awards that year. I was, to me, it was an ironclad guarantee that Tony Collette would at least nominate it, but maybe even was Bruh. a potential front runner to win. And when, when they got through the list and they went on to the next one, I'm like, wait a minute, there had to have been a mistake. Somebody misread. How how did Tony Collette not get nominated for that movie? I, I've that is like one of the biggest stunners to me for the last a while because she was good in that man. Like she was really good. Yeah. Uh, I, I've just never understood that. To me, I don't often like using people overuse the word snub. They overuse it way too much. That's the that was a snub. To me, that was a snub. All right. Uh, let's see here. Move on. Dan Ketchum writes, $15 million bid to rename the Mercedes-Benz Superdome to the Strip Chat Superdome by adult website Strip Chat. The halftime show would be awesome. Is that true? I have not heard that. That a Because listen, a lot of sports stadiums, they sell naming rights. to make, That's why you've got the Air Canada Center, because Air Canada put up money for it. Why you've got the Nokia Center. Why you've got the Staples Center. Why you've got the Ford Arena. Why you've got this, right? Companies will pay money to have a name, their name put on the name of a building. I guess it was only a matter of time before some kind of porn industry came in. The strip chat <laughs> Superdome. Bring on the filthy. All right. Nathan Diggs writes, Man of Steel is in my top seven of all comic book movies. I also believe it is the best pure superhero origin movie ever created. I don't know that I disagree with you about that, as a matter of fact. Uh, Iron Man, Batman Begins, Captain America, etc. Do you and Rob agree or disagree? Thanks. Listen, I, 
I mean, you guys all know what I feel about Man of Steel. It's the, it's the most underrated comic book film of all time. I think one of the greatest comic book movies ever. In terms of just a pure origin story, man, yeah, it might be the... It was such... Rob, the thing about Man of Steel, and I don't want to talk about Man of Steel too much because we talk about it all the time, but... I know. The thing about Man of Steel was, it, it as an origin story, to me, it's so beautifully delved into... What was going on internally in the hero as he was becoming something different? You know, what what was changing in the character? What was the character struggling with and dealing with in that metamorphosis of going from what they thought they were into what they would become? And that's one of the brilliant things that Zack Snyder did in Man of Steel that made me appreciate it so much. And yeah, Captain America, the first Avenger, I think is a great movie. I really enjoy that movie and it's a good origin story, but it really was a story of I'm a, I'm a skinny kid. Beep, now I'm, now I'm Captain America, you know? So that's an origin story. I, I think I might agree. It might be the best origin story for a superhero I've seen on film. I, I don't know. But anyway, Rob, what do you think about that statement? Well, to me, it's just a different kind of an origin story. The reason that I love Superman so much, I mean, Man of Steel so much, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, is because it's a science fiction movie, you know, and it's a science fiction movie about I'm an adopted kid, you know, and again, it deals with with an adoptive family. And I know that that's always been part of the Superman story, but I've I've I thought that it was a great look at what would happen if Superman came to Earth now today in our world and what would happen if kryptonians like general zod show up in our world captain america the first avenger a movie that i love i adore that film but it is not set in our real world it's set in the world of the mcu whereas they made a distinct kind of like christopher nolan's batman trilogy because he was remember christopher nolan was also a producer on man of steel they were trying to make these movies set in our world, the real world. And what would the ramifications of that be? And I loved what Man of Steel did with that. I mean, I, I still got a, I got a letter today even about Superman would never kill. He could do something else. He could put Zod in the Earth's core and keep him there. I'm like, what do you – what? 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 No. You're dealing with a villain who is going to kill all of mankind. There is no – putting him away somewhere he's made his intentions clear he's got world engines destroying the planet he's got to go there's no we have to be nice because i'm superman and i can't kill that's not what this movie was about and i loved it for that reason i agree i agree very very much i've, I've had that argument with people ad nauseum all right next up uh nathan diggs writes in uh, and, and with a big tip thank you so much nathan for supporting the channel on that level if the snyder cut turns out to be a massive hit with both fans and critics what are your thoughts of uh wb deciding to continue on with the snyder version of the dcu it, it nil because again it goes back to sample size they've already got three movies that came out that did not work for the masses right worked for me but didn't work for the masses. They've already got that. So even so, it would it's it's I think a little bit naive to think all of a sudden now they're going to do another Snyder movie and all of a sudden the critics and the audiences and everybody's going to love it. I think Warner Brothers knows that's not what's coming. Personally, I don't care because it's Zack Snyder making it. I therefore I've liked everything. Well, I don't like every movie he's done ever. Sucker Punch was awful, but I love a lot of his stuff. 
And so I think I'm going to like it. I mean, that's that's all I can ask for. But but no, even if all of a sudden all the critics like, well, there you got one thing that worked and three things that as far as Warner Brothers is concerned, didn't. So it, it would still. Yeah, again, I, I just don't think it's it's there's any real point in imagining what if everybody loves it when he put out other films that even when they were great, like Man of Steel, half the people hated it. And so I just don't think see there being any reason to expect anything different. But even if it did, then they've got one versus three. So I really don't think, like I said, I don't think positively. And hey, I could be wrong about that. I'm just saying you're asking me my opinion. That's my initial opinion. But I, I don't think it'll change things much one way or the other. Ryan Loner writes, the final season of Netflix's She-Ra remake was just released. And it actually does a lot of the same stuff as Rise of Skywalker, except it takes the daring extra step of actually making that stuff good. One of my favorite shows, not just animated, but ever. Rob, to my shock and surprise, I have no desire to watch She-Ra and the Princesses of Power or whatever it's called. I have no interest to watch it in the world. But to my shock, I've heard a lot of people love this show, like love this show. And I, I'm like, OK, I, I, I think I watch because my, my wife wanted to check it out. So I think I watched about 10 minutes of one episode. And I'm like, yep, I'm out. I mean, hey, if other people like this, awesome, but not for me. So, you know, whatever. But have you heard people talking about it? Because I, th- I even think I saw an article on one of the major trades yesterday about why She-Ra Princess of the Power is one of the best television shows on TV right now. I'm like, what? But but hey, I don't know. Have you heard anybody talking about it? Uh, you know, I've heard a few people because I've got some friends who are big He-Man aficionados. And I'm, I'm like, it's great. I, I would imagine, I, I mean, that. Most of the shows like that that are getting, especially that have a f- almost 40-year pedigree, they would have to be good. Otherwise, they wouldn't survive in this environment when there's so many good animated shows. And I've heard it's good. That said, not really my thing, you know, but I, I think if it's good and people love it, that's fantastic. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Trendy who writes, in your opinion, what country has the better TV shows, America or the UK? For me, it's UK because they are more realistic. Um, I I mean, listen, I don't watch enough. I've watched for every hundred American shows I've watched. I watch one UK one. I've seen a number of UK shows that I've really enjoyed. But I got to go American. I, I think the American, I say that as a Canadian. So I have, you know, God save the queen. But I, I got to say American. But you got to take that with a grain of salt that I'm not as exposed to the UK television series as I am to the American runs. Rob, you've watched more UK television than I have. So if you had to just off the top of your head say, which do you prefer? Which one would you say you prefer? Well, I don't know if I prefer it. But, you know, I watched a lot like Elizabeth and I, we, we whipped through Broadchurch, for instance. Which right. I loved, and and of course I talked about Bodyguard, and and I think that there's. I love Bodyguard. That was really good. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of these Harlan Corbin mystery series, and I I think they're good. I I think that that the BB they're handsomely produced. They have a different sort of a pacing than American shows are. There's an intelligence to them. Uh, not all of them, but even like Sex Education, which is a, a great uh, coming of age comedy out of the UK that Gillian Anderson is in is a wonderful show. And they just announced that they're starting up production on season three. So I think British shows just, they just have a different vibe that I've always liked. I mean, all the way back to, I mean, all the way back to space 1999 UFO and the prisoner, but another show that I really liked in the aughts was what we called MI five. 
you know, I thought MI5, which is sort of their version of 24 in a way, it wasn't really, but it was about MI5 and it ran 10 seasons. I love that show. It was great. And look at modern Doctor Who. Good stuff over there, man. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up comes us from Boris, who writes, Holy crap, the new Tenant trailer dropped my jaw. No one can make me feel so confused, causing me to be even more excited than Christopher Nolan can. I miss going to the cinemas so bad. I am so ready for this film. What did you think? Also, Man of Steel rocks. Man of Steel does rock. Um, well, yeah, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I like the trailer. And you're right. It is confusing but that is kind of the dna of a christopher nolan um so i think waiting more i i enjoyed it i liked it i thought it was good it did get me a little bit more excited rob gave you know he he liked it too but it hasn't really piqued his interest right now we got to see where they go from here but yeah i'm glad you liked it man i i really hope if can it can be done safely i really hope july 17th comes and we're able to go to the cinemas and watch tenant God, I, I, I have never, Rob, I, I, I think I might've said this the other day. I don't, I have not gone this long in between movie theater visits since dude. I was 13, since I was 13 years old, I think. Uh, dude, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I'm like, I'm, I'm having movie theater withdrawal. I, I it just, it's really weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. So here's hoping July 17th. Here's hope. I mean, as long as it can be done safely. But here's hoping that July 17th comes Dude, and we get to we go, go see, What if we go see Unhinged first? Little Dude, little unless, which is supposed to open on July 1st. And if it I is, know. I'll be there. Um, I, I don't know, man. But imagine our first movie back being the new Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet. I know. You'll like, never forget it. It'll be unforgettable. You'll never forget it. You never forget. That's exactly what they're going for. All right. We got to keep moving here. Matt McClure writes, uh, if the golden ticket from the last action hero existed, what movie or movies would you jump into and why? Keep going, John. All right. Thanks for that, Matt. Rob, you know, I, I think, you know, everybody knows what I would say, but if that was a thing put to you, what would you jump into? Well, what would I jump into as opposed to not jumping into? God, I don't know, man. I'm putting, I'm, I'm, I'm being put on the spot, John. Um, God, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I know where you go. You go into a Star Trek movie. Um, I, I don't know. You know, really? What I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the. To be honest, though, they're not my favorite movies. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears> true. you know. I mean, I like a lot of them, but I mean, I, I, I keep thinking about movies like classic films, like an Apocalypse Now. You know, you wouldn't I mean, want to jump into Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I would. I would not want to be there. Um, but it, I mean, but I'm okay. Yeah, that's probably a bad example. <laughs> you know, man. Okay, a star, a Star Trek. But it would have to be a. I'd want to jump into Star Trek: The Motion Picture as opposed to say Star Trek: To The Wrath of Khan. If that right. makes any sense. Okay, that that makes sense to me. All right, let's move on here. Next one up, uh, Justin. Prizzy writes, hey, John, with the Snyder uh, cut being announced for HBO, what are the chances David Ayer can release his alternative version of Suicide Squad on HBO Max? Also, AT&T and Ayer have both been active about it uh, on Twitter. Thanks from here in Australia. I don't think good. I don't think the chances of it be good. Again, it's a very different set of circumstances from what the yeah. Snyder cut situation is. So I, my guess would be no. But again, just a guess. I, I would guess no. But I don't know. Rob, what do you think? I retweeted David Ayer. He made a crack about it that he basically said, oh, I'd love to do that. But it's a very different thing. I mean, 
again, I think that both movies were, I would say, destroyed by executives. But what happened to Suicide Squad was a damn shame in that it was it was basically taken away from him and the studio cut it themselves and made all kinds of mandates. But it, it was in a different way. So and plus it made money. I think it made more money than they thought it was going to make. So, you know, there's no reason to do it, at least for them. Um, I just got to do something here quick. But, um, so so what? Uh, sorry, I, I just a little quick note to throw in to uh, people. I've heard I've had some people ask me because a little while ago, the John Campia show, we changed servers. We, we moved our podcast host to another podcast. And, you know, on Apple Podcasts and a lot of the major podcast platforms, the change happened instantly. For Google Podcasts, it took about two weeks for the change to take effect. Uh, some people have been asking me, John, it still doesn't work on Spotify. No, for whatever <laughs> reason, Spotify didn't update uh, the John Campus Show podcast when we re-updated the new thing. But if you just go to Spotify and search for the John Campus Show podcast, you will find the version that's up to date. Actually, if you're watching live right now, I just put the link in the dis- in the live chat of the um, of the of the show. If you're watching live right now and you use Spotify and you've been wondering, there's a link to it. You can get in there. So yes, you just go to Spotify and research for the John Campus Show podcast, and you can find it there. Sorry, I just had to get that little house cleaning there out of the way, Rob. Sorry about that. Um, no worries. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes, Hey, John, my deepest condolences for your loss. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. My thoughts are with you during this time. Yesterday, you said that it was Hamada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I accidentally said the wrong name. You said that it was Walter Hamada that pushed for the release of Justice League to get the bonus, but it was Kevin Sujahara as Hamada wasn't in charge of DC. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That one of the things, look, if I did like what everybody else does and just pre-recorded my videos, I would have edited that, but I, I did it live. And so, Rob, what was happening was I was saying, you know, I think one of the big people that didn't like like what Zack Snyder was doing at, at there was Walter Hamada and that Walter Hamada even pushed for Justice League to get released before the end of the year so he could get his bonus. Obviously, Walter Hamada came after it. That was Kevin Sujihara. Um, so that's so yeah, I misspoke that. I, absolutely. I did. But that's hey, one of the things about doing it live, one of the things about doing it live right. is that you're saying it. And I just I couldn't change that. So thanks for pointing that out, man. All right. Uh, Augie Boyas writes, I am so sorry for your loss, my friend. Thank you for that. I was heartbroken while I was watching the show yesterday. My deepest condolences. OK, so listen, for those of you who are wondering, what's everybody talking about? Um, I had uh, I had a friend of mine. I woke up yesterday morning to the news that a friend of mine had been in an accident. Um, and that everything looked okay, but they were going into surgery. And you probably noticed on the show yesterday, I, I do, I, I don't even have it here. 95% of the time, I don't even have my phone in the room with me when I do the show. And a bunch of you saw, and I even noticed we're pointing out in the live chat that why is John constantly checking his phone? It's because I was constantly looking at my phone because I was I kept looking for updates. And I had talked to Aaron about it. Uh, before we started the show, I told her my friend was, uh, you know, whatever and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then just as we were starting on the live questions part of the show, I, I got the text that she had died. Um, and so that's I, I and I by the way, I have to apologize uh, to everybody for that, because I again, it happened live. I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't know. And so my first thought was, I'll tell you what I should have done. What I should have done was sucked it up when I read the text. I should have thrown a question. This is how I would handle it differently now. I should have thrown a question to Aaron so I could take the camera off me. I would have thrown a question to Aaron. And while Aaron was answering it, I should have sucked it up, gathered my thoughts together, put it aside for a minute, 
And then, you know, because a lot of you guys, I had to put out an hour and 45 minute companion video yesterday because we didn't get to very many of the questions you guys sent in yesterday. And, you know, I, I, I take that seriously. You guys support the show uh, financially by sending in a tip. I want to get to your questions, at least as many as I can in a show. And I should have sucked it up and I should have just composed myself for 20 more minutes or 30 minutes, gotten through more questions and done. But it kind of blindsided me a little bit. And so, you know, Aaron said, what's wrong? And I, I just told her, I just said she died. And I'm like, okay, you know what, guys? Hey, let's let's wrap up today's show. And, ah, and I put on my smile and whatever. And uh, I appreciate, by the way, uh, all the well wishes from you guys that you sent in. And thank you for your patience and understanding the way I, I, I dealt with it. Probably I could have dealt with it better, but I appreciate your patience and indulgence for that. I really do. So anyway, for those of you who didn't see yesterday's show and you're seeing what's everybody talking about, sorry for what happened. That's what happened. And uh, and I appreciate the, the, the good thoughts. I really do. All right. Uh, speaking of people sending in questions, we still have a lot to get through. So. Uh, Murray Reich writes, uh, I watched your video on the rise of Skywalker. That's right. I just put out, I've been telling you guys for a few weeks, I'm going to do a self-therapeutic uh, video on the rise of Skywalker and why for me now, five months later, really why it didn't work. So I finally put that out yesterday. You can see it on my YouTube channel. Anyway, I watched your video on the rise of Skywalker and I really loved it. Oh, thank you so much, man. I, I can watch like one hour of this just to make me feel better. I would like <laughs> to add one more thing is that the movie felt like an apology letter uh, for The Last Jedi. I felt like two separate movies just to make everyone happy. And I, I think, listen, Rob, this is the, you saw the video that I made. My underlying... Uh, premise of it was all these problems are going to lay out all point back to one thing that when they started the new trilogy even though I like I love one of them I like the other even though I like them when they started the new trilogy they did not start with a plan they didn't have a plan they didn't chart out how the three films will go and they just decided to wing it from movie to movie and I said that's fine winging it can work for a little while but at some point it catches up to you and for me, all the problems I listed all pointed to the idea that they never had a plan. But anyway, uh, Rob, you saw the video. What what do you think about that that philosophy? That not philosophy. That uh, that theory of mine that all the problems, or at least the vast majority of the big problems, all pointed go right back to the point that Kathleen Kennedy and the people at Lucasfilm did not start with an overall plan for the trilogy and just won it. What what did you think about that theory? I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, I don't know if they could have because. Uh, you know, asking somebody to make they they didn't know if it was gonna uh, like I know it seems strange because they spent four billion dollars on Star Wars, but they knew that if they just owned Star Wars, they could do anything they wanted as far as theme parks or video games. They could make their money back, but the movies were were a risky proposition. They really were, and as silly as it might seem, when they were making the Force Awakens, they they were just hoping it would work. Now, they knew they wanted to make another trilogy of movies, but after looking, you're buying – there was the first trilogy and the second trilogy, and I just don't understand why they wouldn't have gone in with the Star Wars movies knowing that they were going to make three of them and why they weren't developed as one long story. Because one of the things that I think Rise of Skywalker suffers from is there's it has no story. I mean, other than this vague notion that Ray and Kylo Ren have this conflict that they completely manufactured because none of the characters, I mean, they're all, like you said, no plan. So it, it, it's a movie that you're waiting for a plot to develop, but all the plot, like Palpatine's back. Really? Off screen? Well, okay, but 
Wouldn't that have been something our characters would have wanted to have stopped earlier? Oh, but we didn't know. So it, none of it works. And I think that's the problem. No plan at all. None. Zero. Yeah. And that's why the movies, that's why at the end, when you get to the end, there's no story they're telling. So it doesn't work. You're waiting other than what's going to happen between Kylo Ren and Rey. Well, I don't know. You know, they didn't really know either. There's Palpatine. I've never seen a major villain show up where I go, eh. Yeah, and I was excited that they were bringing in Palpatine, but I mean, it's just the way it was handled. It was like, oh, yeah, they had no idea they were going to bring him in. And you know what? I feel like because remember a few months ago, we talked about how that Star Wars is now revealed. They're doing that High Republic uh, stuff, right. right? That set of 400 years in the past. And I feel like that was them saying, look, everybody, we learned our lesson because remember, they put out that big video that they gathered this giant writing room with all these high profile Star Wars writers and they were doing sketches and saying, we are charting out the books and the comics and whatever stuff we're going to do. We're now we're sitting down in a big major brain trust writing room and we're charting out where all this is going to go. To me, that was like them saying, hey, everybody, yeah, <laughs> we kind of dropped the ball with making our plan for the new Star Wars movies. We've learned our lesson. We are going to plan out this stuff now. And it, I mean, which is good because everybody makes mistakes. You want to see them learn from their mistakes. But anyway, there's that. Anyway, we got to keep flying here. We're not even halfway through the questions. An anonymous viewer writes. If theaters in New York City don't open in time when Tenet releases, I think a lot of people run to a different state like New Jersey or Connecticut to see it. Uh, it. That's if they do open theirs first. The question becomes, will those states allow outsiders from New York entering theaters? I don't believe, Rob, there's any sort of uh, restriction on uh, like they don't have roadblocks at state lines right now. You know, they, they're, they're not, you right. know, papers, they, you know, they don't they, they're not doing that, you know, pull up to this gate with machine gun turrets. Yeah, I uh, I so I don't think there's going to be a problem with that. You know, I, I said the other day, Rob, that I think that even if New York and Los Angeles don't have their theaters open, I said, if you still have the majority of theaters open across the country, I still think they'll move forward. Like, let's say everywhere else in the country is open except New York and L.A., which it's starting to look like that L.A. is going to be open. But. I think they can still move forward if that's not there, but a vast majority of the other theaters are. Uh, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Or do you think New York City becomes the litmus test? Like if they can't open in New York, they're not going to open anywhere. Like well, how do you I think they're going to approach flat that? Out, they flat out said they have to be able to open in New York and L.A. or Otherwise, they, they can't open the film because, you know, this can't be a half-assed. This movie needs to make big dollars. This has got to be a billion-dollar grossing movie. That's what they're expecting. They're expecting, you know, if nothing else, Inception numbers, which was close to $900 million. And if we don't have a robust movie-going public that's going to movies wherever and where, whenever they want to, the film is not going to perform. And if it doesn't perform, they can't release it. I mean, it's really academic. How yeah. much can they make in a weekend? All right, uh, let's keep going here. The Wakanda Forever writes, Tough time for wrestling fans. I just watched the episode of Dark Side of the Ring over with Owen Hart, Blue Blazer, uh, and then found out about the passing of Shad Gaspard. I did not know them personally, and yet you don't realize the impact a person has on you until they're gone. For those of you who didn't hear about the news, a, a guy was, who was a professional wrestler in the WWE um, was swimming at the beach, and I think the, a riptide came in and 
pulled him out to sea and then his body washed up uh, on a Los Angeles beach the other day. It was a really, really painful loss for a lot of people who knew him. Of course, the wrestling community is a relatively small community um, and it affected a lot of people. So yeah, that was a really sad story to hear. Wakanda Forever also writes, hey, John, hope you're well. If I can, I just want to tell everyone, uh, stay strong out there during these difficult times. Call it what you will. Sending out thoughts, prayers, good vibes. I just wish the best for everyone and we will get through this. And indeed we will. You know what? It's a good day to say because we've got a weekend coming out in front of us. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend planned to relax, hanging out with friends and family and all that kind of stuff. So take Wakanda and Forever's advice and stay safe, everybody. All right. Next up, David Crabtree writes, my heart goes out to uh, you, your friend and her family. Uh, there's never a good time to receive that kind of news. But with the professionalism you handled yourself with on air while you were visibly shaken, I can speak for all of us. We're very proud of you. But uh, I, very kind words, David. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that very much. It's just a. Not a situation I want to be in again, but thank you, dude. I, I I do appreciate that. I'm not happy with the way I handled it, but I, I think those are really kind words, and I, I will take them to heart. Thank you. David also writes, a great one-two punch to sit down and watch is 1993's wonderful Three Musketeers and 1998's fantastic Man of the Iron Mask. They're both different in tone, yet completely, but complete each other perfectly, and I can't say enough about each film's cast, all for one, one for all. Listen, I've actually said that. I don't know if you've heard me say it before, Rob, but I've actually for years recommended even though the two films are technically not affiliated with each other at all i've for years recommended sitting down and doing a double feature of the Kiefer sutherland charlie sheen oliver platt um three musketeers movie from 1993 rebecca des moines is in that one as well and then flash forward to another Three Musketeers that was made about the Three Musketeers that were much older now. And it's got John Malkovich, uh, Gerard Depardieu, uh, and Jeremy Irons as the Three Musketeers. And uh, a star of Usual Suspects, Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne plays D'Artagnan in it. And even though, and, and Leonardo DiCaprio, it's called Man in the Iron Mask, Leonardo DiCaprio, a younger Leonardo DiCaprio. And I'm like, you can, the, these, the way these two movies are made, you can totally watch them back to back and see them as a sequel to the other, mm. even though technically it's not. But anyway, have you ever watched either of those two? Because I, Man of the Iron Mask, I like, but I love that Three Musketeers movie. Have you seen either of those? I've films seen them both. Think? I've seen them both, and I really like the both of those movies. I also love the Three and the Four Musketeers that Superman Two director um, uh, Richard Lester directed back in the seventies with Michael York. Ah, so I love. I I love. I love the Three Musketeers. I love them. And I still I, love I, it's the it's the movie that introduced me to Oliver Platt. I was not familiar oh. with Oliver Platt before that movie, and I just went on to really like him a lot. Come, D'Artagnan, we're going to save the king. Anyway, I love that line. All right, Jose Sanchez writes, I think Tenet will be Christopher Nolan's best film yet. Fresh and original stories is not a common thing in Hollywood. If you had to choose from least to best, from Memento, Inception, and Interstellar, what would it be? Much love to you, John, uh, and stay gold. Thanks so much. Well, um, uh, best out of those, uh, Memento, Second best, Inception, and then uh, Interstellar. Interstellar is actually, while I, st I like Interstellar, make no mistake about it, I like that movie. It is my second least favorite Christopher Nolan film. Uh, so yeah, for me, it would be Ooh, Memento. what's your first? My, my least favorite? Yeah. The Dark Knight Rises, Ooh. which I still like. I like the, that's the thing about Christopher Nolan. He hasn't made a movie I don't like. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is Insomnia, 
actually. That's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is Insomnia. Uh, but my least favorite is The Dark Knight Rises. And I still like it. I like The Dark Knight Rises, but it's just my least favorite. What, what, what would you say your favorite and least favorite of Christopher Nolan's films? I think my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is Inception. Mm. I really do. And I, you know, I love Memento. I really do. I love Memento, but I also love The Prestige. I'm a huge fan of The Prestige. You know, and it's, it's just that, the end. I love The Prestige, except the reveal at the end. I, it's good. I know. Yeah, I, I just it's like, oh, uh, I took a lot of wind out of myself. But I still think it's a brilliant movie besides that. And I do love, look, I, lo- I love all three of his Batman movies to varying degrees. But I think The Dark Knight Rises is the most problematic. Call it mm. that. That's, that's a good way to put it. All right. Uh, next one up is Mandalorian of Gondor, who writes... So what should be considered official canon now that different versions of Justice League is coming? If I'm watching Aquaman's films and they reference Justice League, would it be for Whedon or Snyder's version? Thanks, John. And sorry for your loss. A ship is on its way into the West. Well, that's that's a nice analogy, actually. Um, the movie is canon. But I suspect... And Rob, I don't know what you think about this. It's just a, a suspicion. I suspect there's not going to be anything in the Snyder Cut that contradicts uh, other than maybe some minor movements that happen, like uh, certain things. But I don't think there's going to be anything giant thematically that's going to differ other than being an addition to. So I I think you can look at it both ways. I think officially canon is the movie that got released. But I, I think you, again, I'm just guessing. I'm guessing that everything else that comes in the Snyder Cut is just going to be in addition to without really contradicting anything. So when you see that one throwaway blink-in-your-miss-it reference to Justice League and Aquaman, you battled Steppenwolf. That's it. That's it. If you blinked, you missed the entire everything in Aquaman that had – other than that one line, you'd never even know Aquaman existed in the DC universe. But that could I – I think by the time we see the Snyder Cut, that could reference either one of the versions. Rob, what do you think it's going to turn out to be? Well, you know, canonically, does Aquaman and all the Atlanteans and all everything that we saw in that movie, does that exist in the Snyderverse too or Wonder Woman? You know, canonically, what is canonical is a very interesting sort of a question. I'll tell you one thing. I'm probably going to go with the Snyder cut only because it, that's he originated the DC EU and also I'll bet you that the nightmare sequence, the K-N-I-G-H-T, the nightmare sequence in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is referenced in Justice League and makes a lot more sense. And we know that Darkseid somehow appears in the movie. So I'm going to go canonical with the with the Zack Snyder version, at least in my own head canon, mostly because Justice League was very disappointing to me. And I, I can only think it can go be- it can only go up, John. All right, next one up. The Halo Brony writes, I have been gone from Netflix for a long time to do my job, work on our land, games, and YouTube. I went to do a sneak peek and saw almost all the movies that came out in 2019 and more like Pikachu, Bumblebee, uh, Shazam, Godzilla 2. I am so hyped right now. Are all those movies on Netflix? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't Maybe. know, but it, but it is crazy because somebody else actually wrote in the other day and said, you know, John, we are now entering the phase where all the movies that had come out in theaters, we've we've gone through the theatrical window now, and they're all starting oh, right. to come out now, right? It yeah. is crazy when you're seeing that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's how long it's been. 
since we've been going to the movies. It's just crazy. I cannot wait to get back in. All right. Next one up is Tiberius who writes, hey, John and gang. Uh, John, I'm familiar with your opinion on Man of Steel. Of course, everybody is. And while I don't share the same enthusiasm for it, I appreciate your passion. I haven't heard your thoughts about the 1978 Superman movie and where you rank it among comic book movies. Thanks. Well, listen, the, the Robin, I'd like to know what you think about this. The Christopher Reeve Superman movie, the movie that made us believe a man could fly was their big marketing push for it. It stands as a seminal event in the history of comic book films. I mean, it was for the longest time, it was the comic book film, right? It, it was the, the, comic only film. the only <laughs> one. I will confess that, you know, I watched the original Superman again two or three years ago. And I remember I, I, I mentioned it on my show and I said, I'll be honest with you. It, it doesn't really hold up great. I, I didn't think it held up great. Now, but again, it was from nineteen is from the late nineteen seventies. I mean, so I don't have this high super high expectation. The movies are made in the context of the culture that they exist in. And that was a movie that was made within the context and culture and the trends of what was the late nineteen seventies. And in that realm, it was a profound experience. But there are very, very few movies, Rob, like say Annie Hall. Right? Annie Hall was a movie from a completely different time frame and a completely different culture in many ways. But it really does. You could sit down and watch that for the first time today. And even by today's comedy standards, you can be blown away by it. But there's very, very few examples of movies like that. And so, yeah, like the, the original Superman is not in my top 10 favorite comic book films of all time. I know to many people that's sacrilege. That's fine. I can live with that. Uh, obviously, I still enjoy the movie. I like it and I appreciate and honor it for its place in comic book movie history. But, you know, if I had to, if a watcher came to me right now and said, John, we're going to freeze time for two and a half hours. So you can watch you, everything else is put on hold and you can spend two and a half hours watching any comic book movie you like. It's not going to be the original Superman. There's about 20 other comic book films I would probably go to first. But that's just my honest place where I'm at with it. What about you, Rob? Well, like you point out astutely, it's a product of its time. And what comic book movies have become over the last 20 years is a very different thing. Now, what I love about Superman, the same way when you think about I think about Superman as a character who came to Earth in a different time, whether it's the late 30s or whether it's the 50s. That's the Superman that I grew up with, you know, the TV show, The Adventures of Superman that was made in the 50s. The Superman the movie that I saw was a distillation of not just the character of Superman up to that time, but it's as much about an America that doesn't exist anymore. You know, the whole opening half an hour with Smallville and the, the evocation of that small town feel with your mother and your father and Glenn Ford and all that. It's just a whole different thing. It's it has it has no other than star it stars Superman. It's a very different approach to movie making. And like you pointed out, it's about a world that doesn't exist anymore. And trying to compare and contrast it to modern comic book films, I think modern comic book movies for most audiences are always going to be more entertaining. 
the f- special effects are better, obviously, and it's it's a tough thing. But for me, in terms of my movie going experience, it holds a dear place in my heart because there was never anything like it before it came out. And I right. saw that movie in a giant theater with that and that John Williams score, one of his best scores, the whole movie, the Smallville themes and the main Superman march and the feeling it was it evoked in me. I mean, up until that point, Superman was like TV shows and animation like super friends and to see something like that was mind-blowing in 1978 especially when I, as a kid makes it made you believe a man could fly well listen rob uh we've we've taken you over time again here thanks so much for being here we're gonna let you go because i know you got a lot of stuff you got to work on no but worries. in the meantime brother where we're gonna have you you'll be back on monday but in the meantime yep. where can people find you and your wonderful adventures online uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations, the show about something. All right, dude. Always an honor and privilege to have you here, and we'll have you back again on Monday. Have a good one, Great sir. To be here. Have a good right. Memorial Day weekend. Thank you. All right, everybody. And we now move on to continuing with your live questions. We still got about 25 minutes here, so let's get through all the questions that we can here. Diamond, I think we're going to be able to get through them all. Diamond Dogs Puppy writes, hello, John and crew. Uh, John, I'm sorry to hear about your loss. I appreciate that. Of someone dear uh, to you is never easy. I lost a friend recently, and it's always tough. Just hang in there and be as strong as you can and mourn the way you know how. I appreciate that. And again, thank you to everybody who sent in well wishes, not just uh, today, but yesterday as well. I appreciate that very much. Uh, Diamond Dogs also writes, also, I must say, Tenet looks so effortlessly complex. My most anticipated film in a long time, probably since Endgame. Batson looks like he might steal the film. His character seems like a combo of Hardy and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in Inception. It does a little bit. Listen, I keep telling everybody, despite that I don't like his attitude about working out, I've been telling everybody since he got cast as Batman, do not underestimate Robert Pattinson as an actor. He is one of the best in the business right now. And I think you'll find that most people who go, no, he's not, they probably haven't seen any of his movies since Twilight. He is, over the years, been really shaping himself and as being one of the the actors that directors are really seeking out and he's tremendous and i anticipate that he'll be great in the movie i anticipate he's going to be great in that all right next up uh james lh writes hey john one of three man of steel uh let me just adjust this a little bit so we can get all the words in there there we go uh man of steel is my favorite superman i liked ralph and i liked reeve my earliest visit to the cinema other than a star wars was superman one and two but i've never understood the superman does not kill mos criticism zod would have uh never been taken prisoner uh keep going here Uh, i love superman 2 but it's rarely critiqued over killing in my opinion i think the way he kills is darker than in man of steel superman turns three kryptonians into humans then crushes the now human hand of his enemy next with a smile he casually picks up zod and throws him into to his death into the freezing depths uh below the fortress of solitude he then watches as his two remaining enemies follow their leader to their deaths unlike man of steel he could have easily just taken them prisoners just saying superman has and does kill oh yeah and in the comic books as well there, there's many situations where superman is killed in the comic books I, that's the thing and this is an old debate but i'll just sum it up quickly here what every everybody who screams that superman shouldn't have killed zod he should have done this and this and this they keep saying things that he should have done that he couldn't have done he was facing a superior opponent right he should have taken him and done this he couldn't he was a better fighter than he was and he got zod in a he got lucky that he got zod in a situation where he could end him or let him go and continue to kill human beings 
And remember, Zod said, I'm never going to stop. I'm just going to wipe out every human being on the earth. I'm going to wipe out human existence and I'm not going to stop. Well, Superman could have done this. He had been Superman for one freaking day against a guy who was born and genetically bred to be a soldier in General Zod. There was, he had no other choice. He was in a situation. The movie put Superman in a situation where he had to make a split second decision. Let everybody die or kill Zod. And he made the heart-wrenching decision to kill Zod. And I think what people don't give Zack Snyder credit for is that once he killed Zod, he was tortured that he had to do it. Right? You see him like scream, almost like a Vader. No! Like he screams because he hated that he had to do it, but he had to do it nonetheless. And by the way, in that Superman 2, not what I thought, when I watched Superman 2 again a couple of years ago, one of the things that really stood out to me of Superman being kind of douchey is that once he got, because remember, earlier in the film, he had lost his powers and that trucker bullied him. Well, then at the end of the movie now, he's got his powers back. He's Superman again. He's Superman again. He goes back to that truck stop specifically just to take revenge. And he beats the shit out of this helpless human, right? He beats the shit out of this helpless human. That was kind of, come on. I mean, I love Superman too. Don't get me wrong. But that was kind of douchey for Superman to do. But yes, different iterations. We've seen Superman do a lot of stuff all the time, James. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, um, hey, John, you'd mentioned that you hadn't seen Kevin James in any dramatic roles. Yeah, I, had, I haven't seen him in anything yet. Uh, that's dramatic per se. Uh, check out the trailer for Becky. It's an action thriller where he plays a Nazi who just broke out of prison and takes a family hostage in their lake house. He looks terrifying. I see. I've never seen Kevin James in a role like that. So, okay, wait a second. Let me just open it up here. Uh, do, 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 hold a second. Uh, Kevin James Becky. Okay. All right. I've got the, tra oh, and the, okay. So it's not a movie that's out already. It just came out. Holy crap. He's got the beard going on and the shaved head. That, okay. I get, okay. I'm going to go watch this when the show's done. Thank you for putting that on my radar, man. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, Russell Amador writes, Hey John, by the time you get this, um, you more than likely touched base on this already, but what does coming to theaters at the end of uh, tenant imply? Uh, is it more cryptic for coming July 17th to keep people on their toes or is it getting delayed thoughts? Yeah, we did speak about that specifically, but just to highlight again, I think it points that Warner brothers is still targeting July 17th. But I think to give themselves a little bit of wiggle room, they avoided putting the date in the trailer. Um, and I, that's what I think it is. I think they are still targeting it, but they just allowed themselves a little bit of wiggle room with this trailer by not including the date. So I think that's their approach to it right now. Again, I don't know for sure, but that's at least how it how it strikes me, the way they're approaching it. So we'll find out soon enough. Good question, Russell. All right. The Wakanda Forever writes, to all my fellow college students, we made it through the semester between the online classes and canceled lectures. It was a real challenge. We hung in there and kept chasing our dreams. All the best. Hoping for a better 2020. Go Cal Golden Bears. Uh, and yeah, listen, fortunately, Anne wrapped up she graduated she finished her program before but then again she did have to do her last couple of classes online and stuff like that but yeah so congratulations as we come to the end of a lot of that for a lot of college and university students actually magnolia bakery and just told me about this yesterday you know um 
Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper, they're popular HGTV superstars. Anyway, they have a bakery chain called Magnolia Bakeries. And Anne went there yesterday because they are, for the next two weeks, I think, if you are a college grad right now, they're giving you a free half dozen cupcakes. So Anne drove out because she loves Chip and Joanna Gaines. So she ran out to Magnolia Bakery and came home with six free cupcakes. And I got to tell you, I may have had two of them. They are delicious. So if you have a Magnolia Bakery around you wherever you live and you're a recent college grad, go take advantage of that because they are absolutely delicious. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, The Lovebirds my most, is my most disappointing film I've seen this year. Ah, that's too bad. I didn't know it was out already. Um, not a bad film, but after The Big Sick, my favorite film of 2017. I love The Big Sick. I was expecting bit better from Michael Showalter and Kamail Nagiani rather than a run-of-the-mill rom-com. Did Kamail Nagiani though, have anything to do with the, with the like, uh, with the filmmaking of that? Hold a second. Love, uh, Birds, IMDb. I don't know that he had anything to do. Did he write the script? Writers, uh, Brendan Gale. Um, no, he didn't write it. Okay, so so Kamel Nagiani didn't write it. Unlike the Big Sick, which he he wrote with his uh, with his wife. Guys, Big Sick. If you, oh my God, if you haven't seen Big Sick with Kamel Nagiani, Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, it's freaking awesome. It is freaking awesome. But, you know, uh, he just stepped in. And I like the look of Lovebirds, too. But, yeah, the moment they dumped it to, I think they dumped it to Netflix or Amazon. I can't remember. Once they dumped it on uh, a streaming service, I thought, oh, uh, then maybe they don't like it that much. But I'm still looking forward to seeing it. I didn't realize it had even dropped yet. So I'm probably going to watch it myself. But thanks for giving me the heads on that, uh, heads up on that, Anonymous. All right, next up, uh, Luis Cortez writes, I love this new talent trailer. Nolan really has the power to make an original film and make it seem like a blockbuster. Love the don't be such, don't be so dramatic line. And it looks like we're going to have a great car chase scene. I can't wait for this movie. That ending was amazing. You know, like uh, plane crash. It would be so dramatic. They're not crashing from the air. Small plane. Okay. That part's dramatic. That was a really great way to end it. Um, Cause that gave it a little bit of levity. Cause the rest of the trailer is very like, like like psychedelic like it's just kind of twisty right I mean, and it's still good i mean just but it's very that and then they get to the end and they just decide to throw in some humor into it which i thought was a really great move i also like the line how do you want to die old <laughs> i like that i thought that line was great i thought that line was great all right anyway uh the wakanda forever writes my dream superhero movie team up in an imaginary earth two type scenario i would have loved to seen christopher reeve superman and michael keaton's batman uh they have always been my two favorite film versions of the heroes any two actors characters you want now nah, I, I i don't go into the hypotheticals very much um but yeah for a lot of years but remember there was such a huge period of time when Christopher Reeve's Superman was the only Superman and, and Michael Keaton's Batman was the only Batman. There was a huge period of time when that was the case. And so, yeah, for a lot of people, that's that was kind of the dream scenario. Seeing Reeve and, and, and Keaton together on screen, that was the dream scenario for a lot of time. So I totally get uh, I totally get why you why you have that uh, opinion of that. All right. Next up. Diamond Dogs Puppy writes, hey, John, I couldn't forget the uh, the underrated film of the day, 2001's 15 Minutes. Yeah, I remember that one starring Ed Burns and Robert De Niro. It was a film ahead of its time when with uh, when it came to videotaping everything violent or otherwise smart flick with shocking twist thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it was all based on that whole 15 minutes of fame thing. Right. Yeah, I remember liking that film. Um, now, I granted it's not a movie I go back and watch every two or three years. I don't think I've watched it in like, oh, God, 
15 years. I think it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do remember liking it. I remember liking it. And whatever happened to Ed Burns, it looked for a while like Ed Burns was going to be like one of the next big stars. And it, he never really quite broke through there. Although I always thought he was a really talented dude. All right. Um, Special K writes, have you seen the trailer for The Old Guard on Netflix with Charlize Theron and Shuichel Edgy of 4? It looks amazing. Can't wait to watch it. I did. And I love, you guys know, I love Chiwetel Edgy of 4. He's one of my absolute favorite actors in the world. And who doesn't love Charlize Theron? I, I got to admit, I didn't love the trailer. I thought that the trailer looked very paint by numbers. That doesn't mean I don't, that the movie won't be good. It's just a trailer. And I am curious to watch it because it's got Chiwetel Ejiofor and Charlize Theron. So I'm curious to watch it. I, I, but I, I myself did not love the trailer. I got to admit it again. It felt very, I don't know. The trailer to me felt kind of movie of the week ish. You know, if that makes any sense, I'm not sure. But again, I love these two performers. It's obviously my kind of thing. Immortal soldiers. Okay. That's right up my alley. It's something I probably like. But yeah, look, we always talk about how the job of a trailer is to take your excitement level for a movie, no matter how high or how low it is, and bump it up a couple of notches, right? And having read the synopsis of the movie, then watching the trailer, the trailer didn't increase my excitement. I mean, I'm very curious to watch it because of what it is, but I got to admit the trailer didn't increase my excitement personally. But uh, I'll, be, I'll be looking forward to watching it, though, nonetheless. All right, thanks for writing that in, Special K. The Wakanda Forever also writes... I saw Mike Tyson is training to fight again. Yeah, how crazy is that in his 50s? Uh, as well as making a guest appearance on AEW, I feel Tyson is the greatest comeback story in entertainment, yet I have mixed feelings about it. We all know his past is hard for me. Uh, ever have this conflict? Oh, yeah, I mean, have that conflict all the time. I think I think people who are fans of celebrities have to, you know, we always find out about stuff about celebrities that leaves us disappointed or whatever. But let's not call Mike Tyson the greatest comeback yet because he hasn't come back yet right let's see him come back i know he's planning to come back he's working on coming back so but let's not dub it the greatest comeback just yet until he actually you know comes back and then we'll see where it goes from there uh s mail writes were you surprised we didn't get the i want you to remember clark speech in batman versus superman love the show i think no not when batman versus superman was coming out and we knew it was going to take a lot of influence from the dark knight returns comic if you had bet me $5, if the line, I want you to remember Clark, my, my hand on your throat, I want you to remember the man who beat you, right? Iconic, legendary, one of the best single lines in the history of comic books. I want you to remember who beat you, right? I would have bet five bucks. Oh yeah, they'll put that in. But when you watch the movie, that line doesn't fit anywhere, right? Because when he's beating Superman, he wasn't planning on letting him live to say, I want you to remember, <laughs> no, he was, was going to kill him till he got brought to his senses. So beforehand, yeah, I would have been surprised that that line wasn't going to be there. While watching the movie, it made sense that it wasn't there. So that's my kind of thought. But one of the most iconic lines in comic book history. Absolutely. Uh, Richard Z writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing all right. I am. Thank you, sir. FYI, uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War was not a dream. It's a comic book movie, uh, though, so people die. Just think of Endgame trying to keep spoilers to a minimum. That said, uh, you said you liked Flashpoint, and they are very similar. Yeah, so somebody wrote in yesterday and said, Hey, John, I know you don't like like these weird uh, cop-out endings in movies, so don't watch 
Justice League Apocalypse War because it's all a dream or whatever. So I've had a few other people since then write in and say, actually, it's not the way it ends. So I don't know. I still don't know if I'm going to watch it or not, because I generally speaking, I don't like Marvel or DC straight to home video animated stuff. Frankly, I find most of it to be trash. There are exceptions. There are some exceptions. And Flashpoint was kind of an exception. I, I kind of like Flashpoint. So I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I'm in the process right now, Richard, of trying to talk myself into watching it. I'm trying to talk myself into watching it. So we'll see. All right. But thanks for that update, man. All right. Tampa Bay Suckineers writes, what do you think of the chances are for Ludacris and Tyrese Fast and Furious spinoff film uh, or Peacock series or a Han spinoff? Uh, I know you and Tyrese are buds. So yeah, <laughs> me and Tyrese are buds. Um, so take your bias out of it. Love the show. I, I really don't see it happening. Uh, look, I think the Tyrese and Ludacris um, the characters, they're not the characters people watch Fast and Furious for. They are good supporting characters. Like, I think Roman is a good supporting character. Um, and I'm a big fan of Ludacris. And I think his character in Fast and Furious is a good supporting character. I don't think there'd be a lot of interest in their own standalone property. I might be wrong about that. I might be wrong about that. But as much as I like really love Ludacris, I don't think that particular character or the Roman character are characters that would work well or are suited to be the leads of their own spinoff. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess no. I'm gonna, like they're not Dwayne the Rock Johnson who can easily go or a Jason Statham who can easily spin off and do a Hobbs and Shaw, which I really enjoyed. But I don't think that would work. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. But just that's my initial guess. That's my initial guess. All right. James Argento writes episode four of Mando documentary. And I haven't watched it yet. I, I really did like episode three because I hated episode two, but I liked episode three. Uh, episode four of Mandalorian documentary goes into how Favreau and ILM developed the volume and how Favreau experiences experiences on films like Iron Man, Jungle Book and Lion King led to this. Can't wait to see how Taika uses uh, this in Thor four and his Star Wars. Well, good, because this is the type of stuff they should be talking about in this documentary. Because, I mean, I liked episode one very much. I liked episode three. Episode two was a total waste because episode two was just, let's all sit around and talk about how great Star Wars is. Isn't Star Wars great? Yeah, Star Wars is great. What about you? Do you think Star Wars is great? Oh, man, I think Star Wars is great. And it was just like a half hour circle jerk about time. And it had nothing to do with the, with the Mandalorian. That's the part that frustrated me about that one episode. It was like, this is the Mandalorian documentary series, right? Like, this is the series about Mandalorian. Wouldn't it be neat if they actually talked about Mandalorian in it? Anyway. But then they did episode three, and I thought episode three redeemed it. And uh, I am looking forward, because that sounds like the type of stuff they should be making this series about, James. So thanks for pointing that out. All right. Baylor Girl writes, Get off the nuclear warhead. I love that line. I had never considered Armageddon as a guilty pleasure until listening to your show. I just thought of it as a good movie. Uh, me too. I've always been surprised like whenever people bring up some of the worst movies and a lot of people mention Armageddon. A lot of people don't like Armageddon and that's fine. That's cool. All film subjective. But because so many people really don't like that movie, I consider Armageddon to be a guilty pleasure. Look, it's no Shakespeare, but I'm not going to lie. I get a big kick out of Armageddon. I like that movie. And I get emotional, too, when they start singing, leaving on a jet plane. Call me a sucker, but I, I like Armageddon. You and me both, Baylor girl. All right, James Bonner writes, 
Hey, John, along with the others, are off my deepest sympathy to you and yours. I appreciate that, man. Thank you very much. Uh, now on to movie things. I watched Jaws for the first time in years, and I got to say, it really holds up for me. Your thoughts. Listen, I was just talking a little bit earlier about how a movie like Annie Hall is like one of those rare movies that holds up. And my wife just watched Jaws for the first time ever a uh, month or two ago. You're right, man. Jaws totally holds up. I mean, the shark looks a little ridiculous sometimes, but that is a movie that holds up. I mean, that scene when they're just sitting in the boat at night and he's telling the story about, you know, the sailors going into the water and the sharks and all that kind of stuff. It's still one of the most powerful scenes in movies ever, you know, and I want to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and I went straight to my head. I mean, this, this is one of the great scenes ever. And then the the buoy comes up. You're right. Jaws completely stands up. It completely does. All right. Minnesota hockey fan writes. Sorry, John, for your loss. My thoughts with you and her family. Thank you, man. That's very, very considerate of you. I appreciate that very much. Um, Jose JG writes. I'm looking forward for uh, Spike Lee's new Vietnam flick, The the, the Five Bloods. Yeah, it looks... I, the trailer just came out. I thought the trailer looked great. Uh, starring Chadwick Boseman. Have you seen the trailer? Yeah, we actually talked about the trailer on the show the other day. You also got... Um, uh, um, Jean Renault is in there, which I did not like. Delroy Lindo uh, is in there, which I always like him because Jean Renault from The Professional, I've always liked him as well. I just thought it was a really cool. I didn't realize that it kind of went back and forth. Um, it's half flashback, half modern day treasure hunt dealing with what happened. I, I just think it looks very, very sharp, and I'm looking forward to seeing it very much. Uh, Morris Codes writes, something tells me Tenet won't take the concept to the absurdity level that the show Red Dwarf did. Bathrooms and bar fights are just the tip of the iceberg i have never seen the show red dwarf so i cannot i so i'll be honest with you morse codes i'm totally in the dark as to what we're talking about but yeah it'll be interesting to see christopher nolan like if you look at it not inception if you look at um yeah inception if you look at inception you get a sense for how far christopher nolan will take the the, the wacky absurdity but he knows when just to pull it back, too. So I expect we're going to get the same out of him uh, for this one as well. All right. Mike Thompson writes. So now that there's officially watermelons in the bag, or at least there will be soon, if Warner Brothers ever goes back to doing interconnected stories, which Justice League movie will be re referred to as the canon version. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. I don't know. Listen, while I've been telling people this for a long time. You know, a lot of people think, oh, Disney's now done with shared cinematic universe. No, they're not done with shared cinematic universe. They're just taking a break from it right now, right? They're really focusing on the individual movies more than how they connect and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's a strategy that Walter Hamada had that has worked. It's worked. We've got $2 billion films. We had a wonderful film in Shazam. It's working. But make no mistake, eventually they will get back to shared cinematic universe. Eventually they will do that. And everybody will be excited when they do. Um, so that will come. As far as what they'll refer to, I still think they'll, they'll refer to the, the theatrical release. But, you know, it's impossible to say until we see in 2021, uh, once they have enough time to finish it, then we'll see what the Snyder Cut is. And then once we see it, we can go, oh, yeah, they'll totally just keep the theatrical as canon. Or we'll go, oh, yeah, this the way this fits with the other stuff, yeah, 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 they'll just consider this canon. So it's going to be impossible to say for sure until we get there, until we get there. It's a good question, though, Mike. All right, Matthias Peterson writes, 
Uh, I have noticed that both Cavill, Affleck, and Momoa uh, has mentioned the Snyder Cut on their social media and was wondering, are they still prof attached to marketing or might there be some level of personal support behind them? Well, I mean, what we now know, when you read the Hollywood Reporter, the Hollywood Reporter article that came out yesterday, what we now know is that back when Jason Momoa and Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot started putting out their release the Snyder Cut tweets, now we know that they already knew it was coming. It makes sense. It makes sense. But it changed that story from a feel-good, wow, here are these actors who just really like the director they worked with and they're getting behind him to support him. Now we know from that Hollywood Reporter article that they already knew that they were going to do it and release it on HBO Max months and months and months ago. So when they put out those tweets, it was a slick, coordinated, some would say manipulative marketing stunt. But you know what? I understand if you call it manipulative. I understand if you want to call it fake or all. I get it. I do. But it was brilliant. It was brilliant. So Momoa and Affleck and Godot, they all, they were, they knew that the deal had already been made. They already knew that that was done. And then they got prompted to put out those tweets. A little manipulative to the audience, maybe. But it was also freaking smart. It was really smart. So I looked at that. When I read that, I'm like, oh, my God. Bravo. That was a really, really good coordinated effort. Um, so it was it was a good thing. Um, but I, I think they're just doing it because they, they – are they getting paid to do it? Are they going to get paid to help promote it? I don't know. The, the optimist in me thinks – would like to think, nah, they just want to promote it because they want to promote it. The realist in me thinks – nothing in Hollywood gets done for free. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Either way is fine, though. I, I don't think one way is right and one way is wrong. I think either way is fine. Whatever, whichever approach they take, I think either way is fine. All right, David Coker writes, what are your thoughts on David Arquette officially returning to Scream 5? Are you a fan of the Scream franchise? Uh, now we need Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell to complete the holy trinity of the series. Uh, I didn't care. I didn't care. Like, like most people, I like the first Scream film. But I'm not a huge Scream fanatic, right? I'm not a big fanatic of Scream like a lot of other people are. But I liked it. I didn't really care for any of the other ones. So hearing David Arquette, who I like. I like David Arquette, by the way. Um, I, I just don't care that he's coming back. And I don't care if Nev Campbell, although I love Nev Campbell. Uh, and I don't care if, if Courtney Cox. And I love Courtney Cox. Um so I honestly, for me, I don't care, but I'm sure I know a lot of people got very excited when they heard that he was coming back and I have a hard time imagining them doing it without Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell coming. As a matter of fact, if I had to put five bucks on it, I bet Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell have already signed up. They just haven't announced it yet. I don't know that. I'm just, I'm just guessing. I would bet five bucks that they're already signed up and they just haven't announced it yet. Whether I'm right or wrong, we'll find out soon enough. All right, Baylor Girl writes, if Tenet doesn't come out on July 17th, 7th through 17th, it will probably get pushed back to August 28th, uh, August 828, just to keep the opening date as a palindrome. Uh, I don't think so. But where I do think you're right is if, for whatever reason, they can't open this movie on July 17th, I don't think they push it very far. Like, it's not going to be a Fast and the Furious situation or a James Bond that they push it five months or anything like that. I think, and I don't know this, 
But I think if they can't do July 17th, I think you're talking about what you're saying. I think they're bumping it a month or six weeks or something like that. You know what I mean? All right, guys, just got a couple more minutes left here. Actually, we're already over time, but I'll just go through one or two more. And then, guys, we only got a few questions left. So any questions I don't get to by the time we end, we will start off tomorrow's live or Monday's. No, no, no. We will start off tomorrow's open mic. Because we're going to do open mic tomorrow. So whatever questions, there's only a handful left here. So whatever questions we don't get around to right now, your questions will be the very first ones answered on open mic tomorrow. Okay, so just so you're aware of that. Uh, so here we go. Um, let's see. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, according to Bob Gale on The Hollywood Reporter, the Back to the Future 2 censored ooh-la-la scene on Netflix was, where was it? Was Universal's fault. They accidentally gave Netflix a version of the film from a country uh, with issues with an issue with that scene the scene had since been restored this is why it's awesome that we have a community instead of just one person one idiot sitting in front of a microphone talking because yeah like i said i got i started reading from people saying hey the back to the future 2 scene is still in all the other digital formats everywhere uh which i kind of read so it was netflix getting the wrong version that universal had sent to them that's from the hollywood reporter that solves the mystery because i'm like why would netflix do that they have r-rated material why would they cut it makes no sense now that makes sense anonymous viewer thank you for writing in and this is the benefit of us guys of having a community around us uh doing this stuff doing research while i'm doing the show this is perfect thank you so much for that all right next up um brizzle writes uh, uh, and a very generous tip thank you so much brizzle best wishes the force is with you thank you man i really really appreciate that very very much it's very kind of you all right last question we'll take today guys uh this one comes to us from arib hussein who writes so i read an article which claims that even the air cut of suicide squad is going to be done on hbo max 2 an article i'd be curious to know where you got that article from because to me that doesn't seem like that makes sense but hey if you're going to do something, maybe take it through and do it. Some anyway, I'd be curious to know where you read that article. Um, and to fuel that claim, Air and AT&T kind of did a wink moment that Air had been teasing stuff a lot in the last two days. What do you think? Again, I don't think they'll do that. But I'm not going to fall out of my chair in shock and surprise if they do. Uh, I mean, because especially with the Air thing, it'd be really cheap. It would, again, be another piece of novelty content that you could put on HBO Max. So there, should, there could be some wisdom to that with very, very little expense. So maybe. Hmm. If I had to bet $5, I'd bet it, they won't. But like you, you point out all the reasons why it's possible. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right, guys, listen. For everybody else, from a Nick, a James L.H., a Rust Bucket, and on and on and on, uh, there's only there's a handful of questions, but we have run out of time, so we're going to have to cut this thing off. But do not worry, guys. All Those of you who had questions that we hadn't gotten around to, we will start off open mic tomorrow with your questions right off the bat. So, guys... That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here, guys, and spending part of your day here. Special thank you to those of you who sent in the live questions because, well, number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, and number two, you supported the channel while you're doing it, and all of us here on the John Campia YouTube Show, thank you guys very, very much for that. Guys, have a tremendous weekend ahead of yourselves, and remember, please, do the four important things. Stay smart. Stay safe, take care of yourselves, and most importantly, take care of the people around you. Thanks a lot for being here, guys. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.